Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now covering Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to call this short section of Scripture, The Woman in the Wilderness and the Dragon. Our context is this, the seventh trumpet. The seventh angel has blown the seventh trumpet at the last part of the last chapter, verses 15 through 19, and the temple was opened, which means that now the... Christian can enter into the throne room of God without hindrance, with no veil separating him from the Holy of Holies, and so therefore the new covenant is about to start. We are in our scheme now of the seven seals and the seven trumpets. The first six seals with judgment upon apostate Israel. The seventh seal was opened, and we have seven trumpets. We go through the first six trumpets. Same thing, judgment on Jerusalem, and now the seventh trumpet will blow, and there will be seven bowls, which we're not going to get to in this chapter. But before we get to the seven bowls, the seven chalices, which is more judgment, we see that the church is protected. And that is the meaning of this imagery here in the first six verses of Revelation 12, the woman in the wilderness protected from the dragon. This image of protection is similar to the interlude between the sixth seal and the seventh seal when 144,000 Christians were sealed in Revelation 7. We have the general theme of protection in the midst of God's judgment, protection for God's people in the midst of God's judgment on those who are not of God. So we see now that this section that we're going to go over is to show the conflict between Satan and the church is throughout the world, and John goes all the way back to the beginning of this conflict to show the conflict of Jesus and Satan at Satan's birth. So we start now in Revelation 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. A sign in heaven, the basis of this sign is Isaiah's prophecy of the virgin mother of the Messiah. We read in Isaiah 7, 10, 11, the famous virgin shall conceive prophecy of Isaiah. Moreover, the Lord spoke again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask, ask you a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. This is the sign of the Lord. He will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Well, we're going to see in John's vision that the woman bore a son, as the King James put it, bore a man-child. And so this is what John is referring to, the birth of Jesus now, the woman in the vision derives from a familiar biblical image for the people of God. Israel is often called a woman in the Old Testament. Let me give you the scriptures that show that. Isaiah 26:17. As a pregnant woman about to give birth rives and cries out in her pains, so we were before you, Lord, so we Israel were before you, Lord, as a pregnant woman. Isaiah 54, 6. For the Lord hath called you as a woman. Forsaken and grieved in spirit, a wife of youth, when you were refused, says your God. Isaiah 66, 7 through 11. Before Zion, that's a symbol for Jerusalem, before and, and for Israel. Before Zion was in labor, she gave birth. Before she was in pain, she delivered a boy. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born one day, or a nation be delivered in an instant? Yet as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her sons. Will I bring a baby to the point of birth and not deliver it? Says the Lord, or will I who deliver, close the womb, says your God, be glad for Jerusalem. All of this verses, all of this 
statement in Isaiah is to show that Israel or Jerusalem is like a woman. Be glad for Jerusalem and rejoice over her, all who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all who mourn over her, so that you may nurse and be satisfied from her comforting breast and deep drinkly and delight yourself from her glorious breasts. Breasts, babies, drinking of milk, labor. Israel was a woman. Jeremiah 3, one. They say if, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou, you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Now Israel is compared to an unfaithful woman, a prostitute woman, by Jeremiah. Lamentations 1, 1 through 2, Jeremiah says this. How does the city sit solitary, that's Jerusalem, that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? Ah, Jerusalem's compared to a, un, a, a, a widow woman. She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces, how is she become tributary? She weeps sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Israel is a woman. Ezekiel sixteen seven through 14 I made you thrive like plants of the field. You grew up and matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were stark naked. This is God talking to Israel, talking about her breasts being formed. Then I passed by you and saw you, and you were indeed at the age of love. So I spread the edge of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you, entered into a covenant with you. This is the declaration of the Lord God, and you became mine. I washed you with water, rinsed off your blood, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth and provided you with fine leather sandals. I also wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. This is talking about dressing a woman. I adorned you with jewelry, putting bracelets on your wrist and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring in your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was made of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and all. You be oil. You became extremely beautiful and attained royalty. Oh, it's all it's all talking about a beautiful woman, Israel, as a woman. Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty. Micah 4.10, writhe and cry out, daughter Zion, like a woman in labor. Ah, there's Zion compared to a woman again. So it's clear that this woman in the vision is standing for Israel, and we can nail that down with the other images here of the sun and the moon and the stars. The sun at her head, actually it's not at her head, she's clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet, and she has a crown of 12 stars. She's clothed with the sun, I think that means the sun is just enveloping her. As you look at the woman, you see the sun in the background wrapping around her. Now, sun, moon, and stars, that those three heavenly bodies enhance a picture of glory and dominion, as Solomon did in the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10. Who is she that looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? So there you have the astronomical imagery there, moon and sun, compared to an army with banners and compared with Song of Solomon's wife, Solomon's wife in the Song of Solomon. So soon and moon and sun and moon and twelve stars give a picture of glory, which Israel was given a position reflecting that. Now from ancient times, sun and moon and twelve stars were regarded as these as symbols of the twelve tribes of Israel. To illustrate that, let me read Genesis thirty seven, verses nine through twelve. 
And he, this is Joseph, dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars make obedience to me. Now think about it. In this dream of Joseph, what does the sun and the moon and the eleven stars stand for? And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and thy brother indeed come down to bow ourselves to you to the earth? Well, the sun in that dream stood for Joseph's father, Jacob. The moon stood for Joseph's mother, Rachel. The eleven stars stood for Joseph's brothers, the patriarchs of Israel. And of course, when you add Joseph to the eleven stars, you get twelve stars. So you have the sun and the moon and the stars. The sun being Jacob, the moon being Rachel and the twelve stars being the twelve patriarchs, the twelve tribal leaders, perfect symbolism of Israel. All right, so John has seen a woman in heaven. It's clear that the woman is Israel, beyond a shadow of a doubt, into a reasonable certitude. So we go to verse 2 in Revelation 12. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Well, Chilton says she cried out in order to proclaim to the world that the Messiah was born. Well, I think she cried out because of her labor pains, consistent with the imagery of the vision. I don't think she was making a proclamation to the world that the Messiah is born. I think Chilton's got an overactive imagination there. She's just crying out because of her labor pain, but she is giving birth to the Messiah. In fact, when she is said to be in labor here, the most essential meaning of Israel's history was to labor to give birth to the Messiah. We go to verse 3, Revelation 12. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. Now, who is this great red dragon in the sky that John saw? Well, this is a nice symbol because it's explained to us six verses later in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, which I'll read now. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. So the great dragon is called the devil and Satan. So obviously this dragon is the devil. Continuing in verse 9, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. We'll talk about the devil being thrown to earth in our next audio. Now, let's look at the rest of the imagery of this dragon. He had seven heads. Where does that come from? Well, Daniel's four beasts had seven heads. Let me read that to you. Daniel 7, verses 3 through 7. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion. There's a first head of the lion, but had eagle's wings... I continued watching until his wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. There's your second head. He was raised up on one side, and that, the, Babylon, the, the lion's head was Babylon. The bear was the Medo-Persian Empire. Let me skip down here. And While I was watching, another beast appeared. That's the third beast. But Now, this beast was the leopard standing for Alexander the Great and his four successor generals, the Diotokai. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird. It had four heads. All right, so the third beast had four heads. So we've already got two heads, and now we add four. That's six heads. After this, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared. This is the monstrous beast. It has iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, trampled. It had ten horns. All right, there's your seventh head. So the seventh head stands for the seven ungodly Satan-inspired empires of the ancient world. That's why he had seven crowns on his head. He also had ten horns. 
Well, you notice in Daniel 7, verse 7, I just read, it was different than all the beasts before it. It had ten horns. That was the fourth beast. That was the Roman Empire. So the seven diadems stand for all the ancient empires, Babylon, Persia, Greece, the Macedonian kingdom of Alexander the Great and his four successors, and then the Roman Empire. That's what the seven diadems stand for, and the ten horns stand for the last of the seven empires, this last of the four empires, last of the seven heads, if you will, and that stands for the Roman Empire. And of course, remember, the great theme of the book of Revelation is two nations persecuted the church, apostate Israel, nation number one, apostate, and, and uh, the Roman Empire, number two. And behind it all was the great red dragon, Satan. We go now to Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven. That's the dragon's tail. Swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Well, first of all, who's the child? As the King James puts it, the man-child. That's Jesus. Because the woman's Israel, remember, and Israel gave birth to Jesus. And the devil's waiting on Jesus because he wants to kill Jesus as soon as, the, as Jesus is born. He wants to devour Jesus. So the imagery there is very clear. Not, not much of a problem of interpretation. Now, an incidental detail is mentioned here. His, the dragon's tail, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. The stars stand for the fallen angels who have joined Satan in rebellion. Let me read verse 9 in Revelation 12 to you again. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. So the devil was thrown down, and his angels with him. Well, that's a third of the stars that were thrown down to the earth. Now, of course, we need to notice how ridiculous it is to take this literally, to think that the devil has taken a third of the stars up there in the heaven, those gaseous globes that we look at at night, that are so romantic in a night sky, to take those little stars and throw them down to the earth. Well, you know, one of them would scorch the earth, a third of the stars in the universe. It's just absurd. The th only reason I'm talking about this is because of people who are so gung-ho in interpreting the book of Revelation in a hyper-literalistic fashion that they make it a joke and make it so that nobody can understand it. Now, what is the one-third? People always say this is how you know that a third of the demons in hell f fell from heaven. A third of the angels in heaven fell to earth and became demons. I really don't know if you can be all that specific about a third. It could just show that the demonic rebellion was less than half of the host of God, which means the good guys have the advantage. There's more angels than there are demons. I'm sure that's true. Even if the third is not meant to be taken, if even if the third is meant to be taken literally, fine. There's still two-thirds of the angels out there. The good guys still have the advantage. And this is something I've thought about later in my life is that if the number of demons on earth is a third, it's a fixed number. It happened a long time ago, and the number of demons is fixed. And there's more and more Christians being born all the time. That means the demons have a hard, harder and harder and harder time harassing the sons of God because they got more Christians they got to cover. And I'm sure what they do is they focus their dwindling resources on those who are really committed to the Lord and spreading his kingdom. They're probably going to leave the average wussy puss compromising lukewarm Christian alone. That's just some spe speculation. I, I can't prove any of that. I was just thinking logically. It ought to be encouraging to know that the demons are afraid of us. We should not be afraid of the demons. 
because they've been cast down to the earth. That means they have lost their power. Now, of course, this action of throwing the demons to earth, this is theology, not astronomy. It represents Satan's actions in, in, inst in instigating angels to rebel against God. We go down to Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. And she, that's the woman in heaven, Israel, gave birth to a son, a male child, that's Jesus, the Messiah, who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Rod of iron stands for a scepter. A scepter is a symbol of kingly authority. Jesus is to rule all the nations. This birth of a male child is prophesied in Isaiah 66, verse 7. I read this verse to you earlier in a, just to show that Israel was a woman, but let's read it carefully again. Isaiah 66, 7. Before Zion was in labor, she gave birth. Before she was in pain, she delivered a boy. So Israel is a woman delivering the Messiah. Now, the Messiah, the male child, is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Remember, the church is to rule with her. I mentioned this in earlier audios. Let me show you this, Revelation 19:15. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. All right, so Jesus is ruling the nations. Now let's look at the church ruling the world with a rod of iron. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, that's a Christian, faithful Christian, I, Jesus, will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter, an iron rod. He will shatter them like pot pottery. So here we see that not only Jesus, the head, rules the nations with a rod of iron, but his body, the church, rules with a rod of iron. Two explicit verses in Revelation, one in Revelation 19 and one in Revelation 2, tell us that. So we just need to put that in our memory, that we are going to rule the world with a rod of iron, that the meek shall inherit the earth. We might be beaten down now, we might be despised, we might be laughed at in the universities and in the halls of government and in the councils of a certain antichrist political party whose name I will not mention, but we're going to rule, folks. We're going to rule the world. It's just a matter of time. Now this male child that the woman, Israel, delivered, the Messiah, was caught up to God in his throne in the end of verse 5. Well, that's imagery is easy too. Caught up, that's the resurrection. John mentions it here, or Jesus reveals this to John at this point in the vision to show that, the, that Jesus escaped the power of the devil, just like the overcoming church will. Now Jesus was caught up to God's throne because Jesus reigns with God. Now, having said this very clearly that this is the Messiah, there's no question about it. The imagery is very easy. It is amazing to me how many futurist prophecy nuts will say the male child is the Antichrist. They've already said the rider on the white horse and the first seal is the Antichrist when it's Jesus. And now they say that Jesus the Messiah is the Antichrist. They can't give Jesus his due in the book of Revelation. For crying out loud, the male child is not the future Antichrist. Why would the Antichrist be caught up to God's throne? Just one more example of Hal Lindsey, Tim LaHaye, baloney sausage. We go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, so that there she should be nourished for 1,260 days. Now the woman who is standing for Israel, she was the old Israel, given birth to the Messiah, and now as she flees into the wilderness, she represents the new Israel, the church. She fled into the wilderness. That happened when the Hebrew Christians trapped in Jerusalem during the siege of Jerusalem in 66 AD, at the beginning of the Jewish war, when they fled en masse to Pella, right to the northeast of Jerusalem across the Jordan River. 
Now, if you're an Orthodox preterist, you need to know the story of Cestius Gallus and the flight to Pella because it shows up, it's referred to by Jesus prophesied to, prophesied about in the Olivet Discourse by Jesus. And it's mentioned here in Revelation 12, 6. So let me tell you what happened. In AD 66, a Roman general named Cestius Gallus, he comes down to attack Israel from the north. He comes down from the garrisons up there near the Euphrates, and he besieges Jerusalem. Jerusalem at the time was under the control of the Zealots. Now, the Zealots would not let any person in Jerusalem leave the city because they thought the Messiah would deliver them. So they didn't want to surrender to the Romans, and they were scared that if people left the city, they would surrender to the Romans, and that would be the end of the rebellion. So Gallus has got him pinned up in Jerusalem with his soldiers, Roman soldiers around the city, when all of a sudden, inexplicably, Cestius Gallus withdraws his troops and heads north. The Christians in Jerusalem at that time had seen the Roman armies of Cestius Gallus surrounding Jerusalem. They knew that these armies were an abomination that causes desolation, and they fled the city. Well, now, the Christians in Jerusalem had been warned by Jesus in Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse to flee when they saw Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, the abomination of desolation, if you recall that, in Luke. But now the problem is they were reminded by Jesus' warning to flee when the city is surrounded. But how are they going to flee? They've been bottled up by the zealots who won't let them flee. Ah, but now the zealots have left the city. And they have chased Gallus up to the north and had a battle with Gallus at Beth Horon, beating Cestius. But while the zealots were gone, having their little battle up there, the Christians left Jerusalem, went northeast, crossed the Jordan River, stayed at Pella for the duration of the Jewish War. And how long did the Jewish War last? Three and a half years, 1,260 months. Eusebius of Caesarea tells us the story, and he says, not the famous church historian, Eusebius of Caesarea, and he says, not one Christian lost their life. So you see, Book of Revelation written in the mid-60s predicts what's going to happen in 66, just shortly thereafter. 1,260 days is three and a half years, the standard symbol for doom, gloom, depression, anguish, misery, judgment, and so forth. That's what was going on in Israel, in Jerusalem. But during that time, the church did not suffer. She was safe in Pella. Now, what can we draw from this? That when God judges, he protects his people. Think about that. How about Noah? God judged the whole world, but he protected his people in the ark. How about Old Testament Israel? He judged Egypt. God judged Egypt with the ten plagues. But what about Israel? They escaped. They escaped the judgment. What about Elijah? He was fed. He escaped. He ran from Jezebel, fed by ravens in the wilderness for three and a half years. But he was protected during the time of tribulation. How about the Virgin Mary fleeing to escape Herod with the little baby Jesus? There was judgment as Herod went crazy and started killing babies, but Jesus was protected. So that's a theme throughout the scripture. And I really think it's good to emphasize that, that as a matter of application because America, I'm convinced right now, is under judgment with this COVID-19 virus, riots everywhere, people talking about civil war openly in the press. Just saw Hillary Clinton's old campaign manager suggest that maybe the three westernmost states of the United States could, should secede from the Union, which I think would be a great idea, personally. Good riddance to them. But the fact that people are even talking like that, talking about, the military occupying Washington when one or the other of the parties loses. I'm talking now in September of 2020. Well, all that's bad, but Jesus protects his church. He's going to protect the woman in the wilderness. 
Now we'll see that in our next audio in chapter 12, verses 7 through 17, the woman and the dragon, excuse me, Satan thrown down to the earth. He's thrown down to the earth so he can't hurt the woman in the wilderness. I hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one.